Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. One of the kids has picked it up. I'm like, what's wrong? What's happening? He was hysterical. He's like, mummy stabbed daddy. Mummy stabbed daddy. We need help. We need help. And then the phone went dead. Okay, if my listeners could see me now, uh, I am outside a police station. And I can guarantee you that there will be hoons driving up and down the street. And if that gets too much for us, I'll have to call the local police and tell them to, uh, you know, get the hoons off the road. But it's the only place that I get such good reception. Uh, so bear with me if you hear some uh, some hoons. Uh, but but let's see how we go. So. As a triple zero operator for 10 years, today's guest, Telia Tonkin, was the voice that every person wants to hear when they ring triple O for help. And it's generally urgent help. Some people's virgin, virgin, <laughs> some people's version of urgent <laughs> Love it. was very different to others. 
the caller may have witnessed a crime. They may have been the victim of a crime, watching a crime unfold, having discovered a crime, stumbled across an accident. They may be reporting some bizarre behaviour. They might be reporting somebody's having a baby by the side of the road. They might be ringing on behalf of someone needing help. They might be chasing someone who's committed a crime. It's just hard to imagine the situations that Telia hasn't experienced in those 10 years. Telia's calm voice is what they were wanting to hear. You've called the police. What's the emergency? And then Telia would have to determine where the closest unit was, providing them with all the information they needed to attend and assist. And then there's the call that no call taker or police person ever wants to hear over the police radio. In Victoria, it's when they say code nine, which means officers are calling for urgent help. It's the most urgent call that any police person can make. It's really high pressure. A triple zero call taker needs to be extraordinarily calm under pressure, be able to remain calm with others to establish an address, to establish a landmark, what's happened, who's hurt, descriptions, etc. So I wonder what some of the incidents Telia remembers vividly and what did the training entail? Can she remember her first call? What about the debriefs after those harrowing, distressing calls? I wonder how long it took to get back to call taking. And I haven't even mentioned Telia's life accomplishments away from triple zero. Telia had a light bulb moment when she realised that if she didn't do something about her ballooning weight and mental health, she'd die. That's pretty drastic. And she did what we all do when putting on a bit of extra weight, as you do. She became the Australian weightlifting champion. With my ballooning COVID weight, I should be world champion in the very near future. Anyway, welcome, Telia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Narelle. That was uh, a pretty awesome introduction. (laughs) Well, you're a pretty awesome person, to be honest. I mean, I've had to sit here, listeners, I've had to sit here listening to Nick from Black Salmon, who sits in the background, my... um, um, my second in charge, and him and Telia have been discussing how much they bench press, <laughs> um, what they, what's that word, what they snatch, what snatch, they, yeah, clean and jerk. What's the other one? Clean and jerk, yeah. Clean and jerk, yeah. Yeah, it just it doesn't sound right to me, but I know that's weightlifting, <laughs> that's weightlifting talk, so I'm not even going to go there. No, and you um, know what? That was one of the things that attracted me, Narelle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near there. We'll just leave that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, look, thanks so much for your time, Telia. And I must say, congratulations on your achievements outside of your career in Queensland Police. Thank Let's you. Let's indulge just for a short moment on your weightlifting achievements. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about them? Uh, yeah, so I've been doing competitive weightlifting uh, six years now. Um, I've been the uh, sorry Queensland champion uh, a few times, including this year. Um, last year, national champion. Uh, this year, I came third uh, at nationals, uh, Commonwealth and Oceania championships uh, a couple of weeks ago in Cairns. So uh, it keeps me focused. It's a very difficult sport, but uh, the rewards are, are just pretty, are just awesome. So. When when you say difficult, what do you mean by difficult? Oh, because 
the the movements itself, like I don't know if you've ever seen the movements, but they just don't make sense. Like you watch someone, you know, snatch the bar, they just pull it straight from the ground, get into a squat over their head with this massive amount of weight over their head. And when you first try, the amount of times you fall over and look like a total dick is just, you know, and it's so frustrating. Like you're like, why can't I just get this right? And then as training progresses, you know, so you start getting the lifts, you start getting the movements, you start getting stronger. But it's such a mind, you know, like you walk in there and just be training and go, oh, I'm just not feeling it today. I just can't get anything right. Um, you know, and walk away going, why do I do this to myself? You know, it's not like I just go to that normal gym and pump iron looking myself in the mirror. You know, we don't have a mirror in sight because it's all about um, the movement and the technique and the coaching. And and so it can just, just it can mess with your, he- your head a little bit if you let it. But that's probably one of the reasons why I do love it is that it's so um, mentally challenging as well as physically challenging, I guess. So, mm. yeah. I suppose it's like any sport – um, you, it is mentally, uh, not just physically demanding, but mm. it's also mentally demanding. And you just said then you wonder to yourself sometimes, why did I ever do this? Why did you get into weightlifting? Uh, so I, I started, um, uh, forgive me for swearing, but I started in CrossFit um, and enjoyed the movements but didn't enjoy the um, gymnastic side of CrossFit because I am – not, you know, I'm not a gymnast in by any means. So those movements I found really difficult, whereas the lifting, I was naturally strong. So I sort of uh, got coaxed into into moving over to the weightlifting club instead from CrossFit and it sort of went from there. But but going way back before CrossFit. Oh, yeah, the weight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. Okay, so basically oh, I think I topped at about 160 kilos um, had two kids under two and just thought, oh, I can't, I, how can I possibly be the best mother and role model to these two, these two kids at 160 kilos? You know, I'll be huffing and puffing going up three, three stairs, like something needed to change. I just, I, you know, if you're going to bring kids into this world, then you've got to give them the best life you possibly can. And by me being that weight, I was going to fail them in some way because, I, I mean, I could have not woken up one day simply because of my size um, and not to mention the health problems that come along with, you know, the diabetes, high risk of cancer. Um, and it was just like I can't, I can't do this to my kids. I need to do something about my weight. And, um, yeah, so I started slowly, started walking, uh, did catch to 5Ks, running, then set myself the goal of a, a half marathon which at, you know, I think I was about 140 kilos when I said, you know what, I'm going to do a, a half marathon in six months. Thought that's just freaking crazy talk. Um, no, I got down to, you know, uh, I lost 70 kilos, did the half marathon and, um, yeah, that achievement was just, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to put into words. The, the When I crossed that line of that half marathon that, you know, just I just felt amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh- Tell you what, how this might be a bit personal, but you you don't feel like you have to answer it. But to get to one hundred and sixty kilos, was that a medical issue, or was that you just eating or binge eating? Binge eat a big binge eater. Um, okay, and then just yeah, and just eat, eat, eat. Even though I knew I was full, I would just continue to eat. Um, and I've always done that. I've all. Um, 
you know, through childhood, uh, you know, have an argument with mum or dad and, yeah, it would be straight to the fridge and that's how I would just, you know, deal with my emotions was, was by eating. So, uh, yeah, it was, it's, and it's still, it still can be an issue today. Like still I need to stop and go, well, do I go for a walk or do I go and open the fridge and eat whatever's in there? Yeah. At yeah. the moment I'm choosing to go for a walk and I, <laughs> and that's the way I, you know, I live every day going, okay, fridge or walk or, you know, yeah, yeah. Is it a bit like a smoker where you could turn tomorrow and go straight mm-hmm. back to eating? Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, that's gee. an addiction. I'm addicted to food. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and I mean, people might go, oh, you know, bullshit. You know, those people that look at someone and go, well, why can't they just lose weight? Yeah. You know, you've just got no idea. You've got no idea what it's like to be addicted to something. And when it's food, it's obvious to the world. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and so we just verge here from going from weightlifting to policing, <laughs> and, and it's hard to find a connection there, I know. Uh, maybe we could talk about some of the heavy lifting uh, uh, that you're yeah. required yeah, well, to do yes, as a call yes. taker. Sorry, uh, it's the best I can do. That's the best I can come up no, with. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> so tell us about how you became a call taker with Triple um, Zero. Okay, so um, I was actually a recruit at the uh, police academy and um, I had a couple of weeks to go and I fell off a high fence and I badly injured my knee. So during uh, rehab, I was put – um, in a calls in in a comm centre at a small station where I was actually going to end up do where I was supposed to do my first year, so I was there um, doing rehab, doing the doing, and that's basically how it started. I sort of, um, yeah, I started on the counter, and then they said, "Oh, you know, do you want to come in to, into the communications room and do triple zero and radio dispatch?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, shit, yeah, I'll give that a go. Like, you know, no worries." and yeah, that's where it that's where it come from. Um, I did all the rehab with my knee, and then the surgeon said, uh, "Just to well, to be perfectly honest, put it bluntly, your knee's fucked. Mm-hmm. I'm that's not going to sign off of you to go back and graduate." Bl- that's pretty blunt. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just that's just me, Narelle. I just, I'm just blunt straight up. So, um, yeah, he said, "Look, you know, it's not going to happen." So I, I went through a period of mourning. There's no doubt about that. Like. Um, which again might sound weird to people, but it was a dream that I'd always had was to be a police officer and then to have that taken away. Um, I did go through a period of mourning and I and I and that's when I started stacking on the weight a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously looking back now, I, you know, I went into to a depression and, and that sort of thing and um, yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't really good at, at that stage. But then, you know, I started with the 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 call taking and the radio dispatch and actually really really enjoyed it so I sort of then came out on the other side if that makes sense I sort of went you know this is this is what I was supposed to do obviously this is you know this is me yeah. I'm supposed to yeah so that's how I got into that I, okay um and so you you put on the weight after you um di- uh, left the academy is that right. Yeah, yeah. So basically, because um, I couldn't graduate, they sort of side moved me into um, a position as a as a uh, communications operator. Okay, right. Okay. And uh, what did you like about it? You said you really enjoyed it. What did you enjoy? 
Oh, look, the pressure, uh, once again, probably makes me sound crazy, but I work well under pressure and I didn't know that about myself until I started doing that job. I realised I was really good in a crisis. For whatever reason, I, I, you know, I don't let outside things influence me. You know, you know I mean, you come across people who are yelling and screaming and carrying on because something's happened, whereas I'm like, okay, what do we do to fix this? right, this is what we need to do, we need to go here, we need to do this, we need to get that person and just start, you know, coordinating stuff. And, I, yeah, I realised that I was good so at it. So you, you didn't get involved in, oh, what's the word, you didn't, uh, yeah, get involved in somebody's um, trauma. You just thought I'll let them say what they have to say but I have to keep um, uh, keep my head together and work yes. out what I need to do, what information I need. You, that, it didn't bother bother you, I suppose, is the word. Yeah. No, like, and it all, and you do get an adrenaline rush. Oh yeah, yeah. You yep. know, you're like, yeah, like that adrenaline rush is is just amazing. You know, you get that adrenaline rush, and you're like, wow, you know. Um, and then you get off the phone and it's like you're still dealing with the job because, you know, you're still typing it or you're dealing with the radio. So you're telling the police what, what they need to do, where they need to go. You're coordinating everything. Um, so, and then by the end of the day, you're just exhausted. But <laughs> it was like, well, you know, I, I, you know, it was exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't work. I did about six months in my training phase as a, um, a trainee constable. We went to our Russell Street for uh, six months in training and so many people uh, never wanted to go there. Uh, and I didn't really want to either. I want to get out on the road and get on the dead van and, yes, of you know, course. chase crooks. However, it gave me a great insight into what happens in that triple O call centre and there's a bloody lot that goes on and it's also very, very stressful. So tell us about tell us about your training. What did that entail? <laughs> well, uh, originally back in 2006 was when I uh, first officially got the job and there were seven of us that, that um, got the communications operator position. So there were seven of us in training. Uh, we did... Two weeks, Nora. We did a week of theory, <laughs> and we did a week of um, practical, and then that was it. Two weeks. We were just thrown into it. <laughs> two weeks. Oh my god! Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. And even those two weeks weren't full days. I can assure you of that. There was long lunch breaks. There was a few YouTube videos. There was yeah. It was uh, pretty ordinary. And. Um- how did did they, did they teach you a lot about being able to cope mentally? Like, was that part of the course? No, no cool. nothing at all. Nothing that was not even um, discussed at all in that in that two weeks. Um, I don't know whether they didn't want to discuss it because you know we might because we needed those seven people. Um, I wondered, looking back, if they think, well, we didn't want to scare them because we didn't we couldn't afford to lose anyone. You know, so if we come out and, and say, you know, this, this is what you can expect, this, that, and, you know, even hear some examples of phone calls or, um, you know, we might lose someone we just can't afford to. We need these bums on seats. God, two weeks. When you consider the pressure and, I mean, so much can um, rely on you being the, the call taker, so much relies on you. Oh, my goodness. And so. Yeah, yeah, it has changed. Um, it has changed since that time, but yeah, originally that's what we were given. 
Right. And uh, what's the main, can you tell uh, the listeners the main role of a, a triple zero uh, call taker? Okay, so basically in an eight-hour shift, you're normally split into two lots of four hours. So four hours uh, on the phone answering triple zero calls and then four hours on radio dispatch. Uh, so it would just depend um, on where you were on the resource sheet and what you were going to do on that particular day and which radio channel you were going to take because obviously there's multiple radio channels given how many police are out on the road. Um, so, yeah, so it was sort of like to break up the day and if sometimes if you were really unlucky, you'd get eight hours on triple zero, which is just it is too much. Mm. Yeah, I imagine it would be. And so can you explain to the listeners a bit about um, what's the difference between a radio dispatch and a triple zero caller. Okay, so the call comes in, triple zero operator answers that phone call, puts on a job. That job then uh, flashes up to the radio dispatcher if it's in their area for them to give out on the radio. So your details from that caller need to be as precise and as accurate as possible because that radio dispatcher is going to be reading out that information. And if you make them sound like a dickhead, I can tell you they're going to come and give you a mouthful because, I bet they are. because yeah. you, you know, yeah, you don't want to sound like an idiot on the radio. Um, so you need that job to make sense, to have all the information possible um, so that the dispatcher can give, give the, the crews the accurate information. So in those two weeks that you did the training, uh, we, I'm, it's almost tongue-in-cheek, but were you, given, were you given any training about how to remain calm or how to calm people down? No, no, not at all. That was either, I think that was either a skill you had or you were going to, you know, it was like those sink or swim sort of moments. It was either you're going to be able to to talk to people and and, uh, get the information as well as them feeling really reassured that that you're getting them help or you're going to get as worked up as they are and you're going to pick up your handbag and you're going to walk out because you're not going to be able to handle the job. Mm. Did you see many people pack up their handbags and walk out? I have. I have seen people do that, yes. Yep. Uh, even in training, in, in like, like now it's uh, nine weeks of training and I've seen people after after listening to an exa- like an example of a triple zero call um, go, nah, no thank you, that's not for me, I'm out. I don't know what they came in thinking they'd be doing but anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, talking of that, can you tell us some of the more memorable calls that you took? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I can probably start with um, more serious ones if you wanted to um, before going into some ones that will probably just make you shake your head. Um, I, <laughs> um, where I used to work originally is on the Bruce Highway and that was a notorious stretch of highway for um, traffic fatals, car, you know, yeah, car crashes. Um and I remember one day, uh, it was a rainy day and it was like every time it rained, the road would get slippery and we'd sort of come to work going, um, here we go, here we go again, we're definitely going to have a crash today, you know, because people don't drive to the conditions, It's gonna, this is going to be a shit day sort of thing. And I remember I was sitting in there and I was about four months pregnant with my my first child. No one knew I was pregnant. Um and uh, I was trying to hide it. And I remember we got this phone call, well, multiple phone calls, uh, bad crash on the Bruce Highway. 
uh, two trucks and a car. One was a logging truck. Um, the logs had come off um, the truck. We had the car had spun on the opposite side of the road and caught fire, engulfed in flames. We There's no possible way we could get anyone out of that. Um, and then the other truck who had hit the logger truck. Um, and as the details were coming in, um, so we had the logger truck driver appeared not to be wearing his seatbelt. So he flew out that windscreen um, and ended up, you know, uh, 50, 60 metres down the road. Um, and he was dead straight up. So we had that. Um, and then a police officer wasn't too far away. So he went lights and sirens. He was only one up, as, we, as in one one in the car. He got there pretty quick. Um, they were able to put out the car, like the, the flames in the, in the car. Um, and as the, as the day went on, we realised that um, it was a male and a female, uh, female was five months pregnant, all deceased, um, and it was it, that one really hit home because I was like, "Oh my god!" Like just like that, in an instant, you've got. F- and I, I, I'm I'm saying, even though that baby was only five months, I'm saying that was a four four people died that day, um, and it was just that really, yeah. I remember going home that day, and I was oh, really yeah. upset. Um, because yeah, and but having said that, probably you know five months prior to that, if that had happened, I wouldn't have had that same reaction. But it was because I was very similar, you know, pregnant and all the rest. Of, you know, exciting times, first baby, and that was the same for her. You know, first baby, exciting times, and and just gone. And it was just yeah, it just made me think about how easy and how quick. Things can change. Yeah, and you're right. Just, um, I suppose you put yourself in her position because you were, you know, about yeah, the same pregnancy. Yeah. But I also, you know, car accident. I've spoken to a, a couple of people um, who have had um, children, like their sons, that have um, uh, been killed in a car accident or killed somebody or very, um, you know, seriously injured someone else. And and it's the same thing. They say that in the flick of a switch, in a millisecond, your life can completely change. And I know so many people out there listening yep. that, you know, the yep. same thing would have happened to them. And the ripple effect, I remember um, in, I remember interviewing Peter Ballion, who's a, a used to be a major crash investigator with Victoria Police, and he said that for every person, uh, I think it was either killed or seriously injured, the ripple effect had affected 100 people. It's a lot of people, isn't it? It is. Because, I mean, the next day I had a phone call from a witness. He was in tears. He's like, I can't stop seeing, I can't stop seeing that crash. I can't stop seeing that man on the road. I can't, what do I do? What do I do? And there's this grown man on the phone to me crying. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, I, I, just, I just don't know what to say to you. Like, I don't know what I can say that makes that's going to make you feel better, but you need help. You can't. You know, this is just wrong place, wrong time, sort of thing. However, you, you you can't, you know. And obviously, that's why he was ringing me. He needed help because he couldn't stop seeing it. It was only like twenty four hours later, but he was just like, I just don't know what to do. And yeah, so I mean, I got, I gave him some numbers and stuff, and hopefully, he did did seek out help because he was just a mess. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, they're they're terrible. 
Well, of course, they're terrible. Um, and um, you said you had a number of uh, examples of some of the more memorable. Oh, Can you yeah. <laughs> take us through a couple more? Um, oh, I remember I was on night shift one night and um, sometimes it was a, it could be a quite quiet comm centre during the winter. Uh, you know, I'd get to watch a DVD back then um, and I remember I was in the middle of this DVD laughing and carrying on and triple zero rang and I was like, oh, you know, just in the middle of a good bit. Anyway, so I'm answering the phone and this guy says to me, oh, my girlfriend's come home, uh, I think wife has come home drunk. Um, I'm sick of this shit. You know, you need you guys need to come here and come and get her and um, she's causing trouble. She wants to fight everyone. I've got young kids here. And then I could hear a kid crying in the background. And I'm like, yeah, no, no worries. And I'm get in the midst of getting all these details. And then all of a sudden, um, I hear this screaming, this guy on the phone that I was just talking to normally starts screaming and screaming. And I'm like, like in pain, I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, she's stabbing me. She's stabbing me. She's stabbing me. And I was like, holy fuck. Anyway, the phone, he obviously dropped the phone. Um, this young, one of the kids has picked it up. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's happening? This kid would have been oh, no more than four. Oh. Really hard to get information out of. He was hysterical. It was like, mummy stabbed daddy. Mummy stabbed daddy. We need help. We need help. And then the phone went dead. Um, Tried to ring it back. It was a landline. Nah, it was off the hook. Had no luck there. So I had to, you know, know, I didn't know. I didn't know whether she had stabbed him multiple times and he was dead. Had she then gone and taken, you know, the kids as well? Like there was two kids in the house. What had she done with them? Um, So, you know, kind of get police uh, lights and sirens and, and ambulance lights and sirens out to him just to see you know, what, what had happened? Was he alive? And, um, yeah, it was just uh, – I just couldn't believe it, you know, like just that snap second of I'm watching this funny DVD to holy shit, someone's getting stabbed while I'm on the phone with them. Um, yeah, that's – but, like, I mean, luckily it, it ended up okay. You know, she, he was – he was yes, he was stabbed, but luckily it wasn't fatally. Um, and, um, yeah, she, she went off – to the watch house to, to uh, sober up a little bit and and, and uh, think about it, think about her um, life choices, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but that was pretty crazy though, that one. Mm. Mm. Have you ever delivered a baby via phone? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Oh, I'll leave that for QAS. The Ambos can do oh, that. <laughs> oh, I hear, you know, every now and then you hear about, you know, a triple or O taker that is um a call taker that's um helped deliver a baby on the side of the road or oh, oh my god yeah no thank you i'll just be like no next well really you <laughs> couldn't could you from what you're saying you don't have a no you couldn't i'd yeah i mean i've yeah i've got a first aid certificate but that's it so <laughs> okay right on. i'm not equipped <laughs> um any others that really like- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Like, has there any that have kept you awake at night? Oh, well, I suppose those two, of course, they would. Yeah, well, actually, there was, oh, I remember um, a little little coastal town that we also uh, did radio and and, um, and triple zero for. Um, it was just a normal, you know, I don't know, I think it was a Wednesday night and it was like, I don't know, it was like 4.30, something like that. And we get a triple zero call from there and this guy's whispering on the phone. He's going, oh, I've just heard a gunshot. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, look at where you live. Like, are you sure it wasn't a car backfiring or something? And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it was a gunshot. Um, I don't, you know, like it's come from the street over the back. I'm like, oh, all right then, okay, a little bit weird. No worries, I'll take the details and I'll get someone to do some patrols and see if we can find anything. Um, next minute, another call. Um, my neighbour's been shot. He's in the driveway. He's bleeding. I need someone right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you know who shot him? Where's the person with the gun? I don't know. There's no one else here. I heard a, I heard the noise. I went outside and he's just laying in his driveway. And I was like, holy shit, this, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen, you know. It was at Rainbow Beach. And it's like, this doesn't happen at Rainbow Beach. Like, Rainbow Beach is beautiful. Like, this doesn't happen. And I was like, shit, where is this dude with the gun? You know, it's, and I, I remember Google, Google mapping the address and it backed onto bushland. I'm like, oh, my God, this dude can be anywhere. Anyway, so you know, on the phone to the to um, it was the Tin Can Bay had to come over. So that's you know that's a little bit of a drive as it is. But they had to vest up. Um, you know, I didn't know what I was sending them into because I couldn't tell them where this mm. offender was mm. with a gun, mm. and it was confirmed. You know, this and Ambo's got there um, confirmed gunshot wound. Yep, one hundred percent. It's this is legit, and it's like holy shit, what the hell has happened? Um, and and unfortunately, um, he passed away there oh, on his driveway. Okay. Yep. Um, this yeah. this poor fella. And as the story unfolded, um, we found out that uh, it was the the suspect was possibly his ex father in law, who was actually from the town where I lived. And I was like, he could like, and it was only like a half an hour drive, so he could have gotten the car and be roaming around where I am right now, like I could get out, go out from work and he's standing there with his gun because, uh, you know, so we had 
um, surveillance on his house. He wasn't there. Um, we looked at his daughter's house. He wasn't there. And we, we searched for this fella for a couple of days and he ended up turning himself in. Um, and, it, yeah, it turned out that his his daughter didn't want to fight um, her husband for custody of the children and she wanted to pack up and move down to Melbourne. So old mate thought the best best uh, thing to do was to, to kill the husband so that the daughter could go and live her life with the so two young kids. So was the father-in-law? Oh, yeah, yep. And he was like a, a uh, upstanding member of, of our community. Um, yeah, so that that really shocked a lot of shocked a lot of people. And the guy that um, passed away, he was a member of the SES, the Rural Fire Brigade, had a lot of community ties, and just devastated the town mm-hmm. for a long time. And so, with these stressful calls that you take, um, are you debriefed? Like, what? Tell me about the debriefing policy. Okay, so the only time I have ever been involved in a debrief was after that um, fatal on the highway that killed four people. Now, that debrief, um, there would have been about 30 people in it. Um, It was run by our boss, who, as far as I was aware, had no experience whatsoever in uh, psychological issues surrounding dealing with a matter like that. Yeah, uh, so it was just more of it was more of a um, okay. What did we do wrong, and what can we do better? It was nothing to. It was like a big thing of criticizing people. Oh well, yeah. you know, we should have done this better. We yeah. should have done that better. Um, rather than uh, are you okay with what happened? Like, let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about the feelings surrounding that. Um, you know, like. Yeah, none none of that. It was like, well, you know, you could have done this and and maybe next time you need to do this. And it's like, yeah, okay then, no worries. Yep, I'll just sit over here and, you know, suck my thumb for a while and then go home, shall I? So, yeah, terrible. So that's the only time you've ever had a debrief, yeah? Yes, yep, only time. So is it it a policy that you – should be debriefed or? I do believe at one time it was and then they came back with um, these studies that that said, look, debriefing doesn't work, Uh, so we're not doing that anymore. Um, Basically, there was a a generic email generated that got sent to um, the, um, what are they called, psychologists employed by the QPS. Yeah. Um, If you're involved in an incident, your name would go on this email. You'd flick it. They'd flick it to the um, psychologist, and you may or may not get an email back saying, "Are you okay?" Like considering the amount of stress that a um, oh. a triple zero caller would be under, that really that really surprises me. Do you know if that's changed? No, no. So, like uh, last time I was in in taking triple zero calls was in June. Um, I do believe they had some sort of a debrief after, and the, oh gosh, her name escapes me now. Um, we had that um, a DV incident where she was um, caught. Uh, oh. Her husband lit her and her children on fire in the car. Was that Hannah? Um, Hannah. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, yeah, okay. And I apologise to. I should have remembered that. Um, I was working that day, but. Um, yeah, so there was a debrief, not a debrief, it was a, I don't know what they called it, um, just a, a check-in, I guess, mm-hmm. to say, you know, are you okay? Because obviously that that day was shit. That was a shit day. Um, so that's all I can remember um, 
Uh, yeah, that's all I can remember in the last, say, three years of anything, anyone saying, you know, that was a shit call, are you okay? Oh, that, that really disappoints me and it also mm. surprises me that we don't, and we as Australians, that we haven't um, learned that people need debriefing. You know, you can't just walk out of a place like your, your call taker centre. Um, I think everybody should be given some sort of a, um, I don't know, just a number to ring or at the end of every session, you know, everybody okay. Or You know, I, I remember um, uh, debriefing uh, was something that, it used to really um, annoy me in a way because I thought with policing they were just ticking a box. Um, it yes. was something that had to be done and generally yes. like you're saying, it was in a large room. There was, um, yes, yes, there would have been maybe 30 or 40 people and it was always run by the braid and, look, I, I, they have to do this, you know, with a, a big job, a big investigation, but it was always very rare. They would generally say, is anyone struggling or whatever, but never in your wildest dreams would you think of putting up your hand in front of, of all not. these people no way. and all these no strangers way. to say, look, actually, I'm really struggling. And I used to, as you said, I've learned very little from debriefs because that it was also, and I don't mind being critical in a debrief, um, because that's how you learn. But I felt that it was all so critical and of what people should have done. Um, and it was really, it was just words. And then you'd go, the next day, everything's back to normal. Like nobody ever. That's right. There was no change, you know? No, no. And that's still the same. There is no change. It's just a revolving door. Um yeah, it's just uh, – and in this day and age with all the, the the evidence and behind mental health and how important it is that, that we look after our mental health, mm. we're still, you know, it's, it's like a big black hole. Like once you're in there, you're taking the calls, sort of unless someone sitting next to you goes, hey, that was a shitty call, are you okay? Mm. Um, you're left to fend for yourself. Mm. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon. That's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, hey, were you ever abused as a call taker? Oh, good grief. What day <laughs> haven't I been abused? Really? Oh, oh, my God. Some people are just feral. They really are. Um just, you know, what? so they've had an argument with somebody or a fight or something and, you know, they'll ring up and, and you've got to ask the questions. You need to ask the questions. I need to know your name. I need to know where you are. I need to know who's hurt you and where they are because they are a danger to police. I'm not sending police in unless I have this information. So you ask it nicely. Oh, what do you need to know that for? 
<laughs> uh, because it's a requirement for me to send police out. Just fucking get him here. Just fucking get him here now. You know, that is just, it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and you can look around the room and you know when someone's on one of those phone calls because their head goes back. Yeah. You yeah. know, their hands up to their forehead, they're shaking their forehead and then, they'll, you know, they'll look for someone, eye contact with someone and they'll start making, you know, hand gestures and yeah, yeah. why that this person on the other end is just bang, banging on, banging their chops, swearing at you, calling you every name under the sun because yeah. we can't, of course, we can't swear back because then we're in trouble. But it's okay for them to call us F and Cs and and every, you know, name under the sun, oh, you're a bitch, you're useless, you're this, you're that, I'm making a complaint against you and it's like, yep, okay, no worries. Mm. Next, you know, just, it's because just, they're all recorded, aren't they? Every, yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case it's got to go to court or coronial court, um, or that everything is recorded. Even the radio is recorded when you're doing dispatch of jobs. That's recorded as well. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. There's no escaping the recording. No. Well, no, and no wonder you can't swear. I mean, that would be. Awkward when you're uh, at court at the county oh, court. And I just, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm quite liberal with my swear words, and I'll have sworn on the phone every now. If like, especially if you're talking to someone trying to build a rapport, mm. and you know, they might be telling you something. You're like, oh, that's that's shit, that's mm. shit, mate. You know, mm. yeah, you know. So you do, you do. Um, you know, try to make them feel a little bit more react, relaxed and, and try to get the information out of them by by sort of making you sound like a real person. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a recording. I am a real person. I have feelings. I, you know, I am trying to get you help. So you try to sort of um, get to their level a little bit, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm assuming that you took some calls uh, that – very few of us could class as urgent. Can you tell us about oh. some of the most more unusual calls that you got at Triple O? Um, I remember not too not too long ago either. I, I think it was closer to the start of the year. I had this triple zero call um, from this elderly lady. You know, I mean, you can tell sort of how old someone is by their voice. You know, yes, yes. And, the, and the words that they use. So you have a fair indication of how old people are. Yeah. Um, so her first words to me were, "I've been kidnapped." Right. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where are you? I've been kidnapped and I'm locked in a fruit shop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck me. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Stop. Stop with the kidnap. Let's, let's backtrack a little bit. How did you get to the fruit shop? Oh, well, I drove here. Right. And why did you go to the fruit shop for? Because I wanted fruit. Okay, right. This is about seven o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, okay, how long have you been in the fruit shop for? Oh, you know, I was looking in, you know, oh, oh, probably about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And I said, is it possible that they've locked the fruit shop and left for the day, not realizing you're still inside? And she's like, oh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> yes. I'm like, so you're not kidnapped? Well, Technically, I guess I'm not kidnapped. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So I was on the phone for this lady for a good 25 minutes trying, oh, to, yeah. trying to just work out where she was, how she got there. I was concerned, first of all, she drove herself there and then, you know, I'm thinking you shouldn't be driving. But anyway, yeah. I yeah. stayed on the phone with her until police got there and confirmed, yep, obviously young girl had been working in the shop, 
obviously, you know, had a hot date or something, hurried, closed up, didn't realise old Nana was still in the shop and um, yeah, <laughs> Nana rang triple zero and said she was being kidnapped. So there was that one. That was – I needed a 10-minute break after that one, Narelle. I can tell you it was just yeah. – it was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. And then the, – and it, was, it wasn't too far – after that one, I had a, a woman ring uh, and she was talking really quiet to me on the phone. Um, it was, you know, quite late at night and I thought, oh, shit, here we go. Something major is happening. She's like, um, there's two people with guns trying to break into my unit. And I'm like, oh, fuck, righto. So when you're in triple zero, unless you don't have a SIM card in your phone, your information populates into a job automatically, as in your name. Uh, okay. the address where the phone is registered mm-hmm. and also populates uh, your history, your criminal history and whether there's current jobs on the system already for that address. Okay. So if there's been multiple calls to an, an address, for example, a little button down the bottom will flash at you yeah. and you hit that button and it will show you other jobs that are active for that unit. Okay. So I'm writing these things down. This button's flashing at me, so I clicked it, brought it up. Um, it was a neighbour had rang about Herb having loud music and talking to herself a lot. She was flagged with mental health issues. Yep. Um, anyway, long story short, it was the police at the door, knocking on her door, trying to get her to turn the music down and to do a, a bit of a mental health assessment on her. Mm. So, yeah, when, when she rings up and says, yeah, there's – two people at the front of my unit with, with guns. Um, yeah. However, it turned out fine. Um, I do believe she, she uh, may have had a, had a night in hospital just to be assessed to make sure she was yeah. okay. But, yeah. oh, God, yeah. What, you know, that's not a not the first line you want to hear out of coming someone's mouth, coming out of somebody's mouth. But with no. further questioning, obviously, I was <laughs> – and, and the technology available to me, I was able to work out. Yeah that it wasn't legit basically. Yeah. And then I said to I actually and said to her on the phone, you know, that's police. They want to talk to you. Yeah. And then she's like, no, no, no. I'm like, it is. If you just, you know, look your curtain. Oh, it is. Oh. I'm like, okay, but just open the door and have a chat to them. And, yeah, it all worked out fine. But, yeah, initially it was like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> I was going to be on. <laughs> Hey, um, when, oh. we, when we've spoken um, preparing for today, you said that you'd had a few breaks during your years as a triple O call, to, mm. call taker. Can you tell us about the break and what it was or, or the breaks and what it was that made you think you needed a break? Uh, so I'd been doing the job for probably seven years Um and I'd come, I'd been on my second lot of maternity leave, and even going into that second lot of maternity leave, I was I was struggling. Um, I was struggling mentally with the jobs, um, with the shift work, with the call taking, with the pressure. I guess I was struggling with the pressure, the type of calls, um, some things just hanging around in my brain a little bit too long. Um, I went on maternity leave and then I was due to come back and I thought, oh, I, I just, I don't think I can come back and do that job. I just was, you know, I'd had a year off and I was still like, I'm no, I'm no good. I can't, mm, mm. you know, the thought of talking to someone on the phone and trying to be nice, I just, 
oh, I don't have it in me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so lucky for me at the same time uh, an admin position had come up. So I put my hand up for that and actually got that that admin position doing doing rosters. So I spent some time out of the comms room. Um, I think it was about seven years doing rosters. Mm. Um, and in that seven years, a lot of things had changed in my life, um, as in home life had changed. Um, I decided that um, I was going to leave my husband. Um, the kids and I were going to leave my husband. So we did. We, we left. Um, and then I thought we need a clean break. We need to get away from this small town. We need a clean break. Um, my sisters were living in Brisbane, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to Brisbane, but I need a job. Mm. And basically, I was uh, looking at all these jobs that were available, were available, and communications operator was available. And I went, well, you know, I've done it before. Oh, I haven't done it for years. I'll be fine. I haven't done it for like seven years, eight years. You know, lots changed since then. Um, you know, I'm sure it won't be the same. Uh, so, uh, come down, had the interview, no problem at all. Um, breeze through training, that was no problems. Uh, that was nine weeks of training. Um, came out, and first phone call I got, I can't remember what it was about, but the feeling of sickness in my yeah. stomach. Yeah. And it wasn't nerves, it wasn't. It was something else, but I couldn't explain what it was um, until recently. And I look back and I go, "You know what it was? It was the fact that you that years ago, you never dealt with that initial feeling of I can't do this anymore. I just put it, pushed it down, pushed it down, pushed it down, moved on, did another job, forgot all about that. That feelings, those feelings I was having, that uh, emotional response, that physical response I was having to 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 feel like to think about taking those calls um, what's the next call going to be um yeah and I was just right back there again it's like the last eight years hadn't happened I was right back um and I just thought shit what have I done yeah yeah um and anyway I, uh, two years two years I kept pushing myself kept crazy when I when I think about how long I kept pushing myself for pushing myself through those mm those thoughts, those physical reactions, and only putting more things in my head. You know, my head was already full of, of bad thoughts and, and you know, visions of things, and, and then I've put another two years on top of that now. So I, I sort of look back and I just shake my head and go, what, you know, I know why I did it, yeah. but I should have done something a lot earlier than, than now um, but that, that, I mean, hindsight's easy. a wonderful thing. Yeah, and that's easy to say. I think a, yeah, lot, a, it lot is. Of, a lot of us that have been through that, you ignore it or you think it'll go away, but it doesn't. And I think that yes, tomorrow will be better. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what we you know, need. I wake up and it'll be all fine. Mm. Yeah, and it isn't. No. Uh, well, I shouldn't no. say not not all the time. I mean, I no. think sometimes people can get over things, but. Um, you know, it's not for everyone. And and at one stage there, you said that you actually refused a break. You asked for oh, a break at one point. Yep. And you refused it due to staffing levels. That's right. So I was really struggling uh, April, May this year, really struggling like to the point, now this is probably going to make me sound really crazy or people are going to be able to um, relate, I don't know, but I was I was driving to work. It was an afternoon shift and I was trying to think of all the ways I could get out of working. And I thought, well, if I crash my car on my way to work, 
Mm. Then I don't have to go to work, do I? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what? No, like, no, because the consequence of crashing your car may be that you will injure yourself and then you can't do weightlifting. And at that time, weightlifting was the only thing I was enjoying. Um, so that's what stopped me from crashing my car on my way to work. So I didn't have to go to work was the fact that I didn't want to miss out on weightlifting. So that's where my brain was. That's where, that's how bad I was. Um, anyway, I got into work and I thought, fuck, Jesus Christ, this is, this is not right. So um, I, I went on to our little jobs porthole to see if there was any expressions of interest doing other things, doing, you know, other things outside. And I'm actually uh, a qualified teacher. So um, a job came up in education and training and I thought, oh, that's fantastic. You know, that meets, I've got all those, um, everything they want, I have. I have everything they want. I've got all the the qualifications, the education. I've got it. So I put in for it thinking this is perfect. I can have a break. You know, this was for an extended period of time. There was no end date on it because it was a vacant position. Um, And I thought this will be a perfect, even if I can, even if I only get it for a month, then that's a month break. That might be enough time for me to get some help and just, just catch my breath again. So I wrote an email um, to the boss saying, look, I've put in for this expression of interest. If I was to get it, I would really like to be released. These are the reasons why. And in that email, I poured my heart out. I'd never done that before. Um, I just said I just said straight out, I am struggling. I really am struggling. Um, I, I don't want to be at work anymore. I'm not enjoying the things I should be enjoying. I'm clearly suffering PTSD. Um, you know, having flashbacks, having a physical reaction to some things. Um, please, if I am successful, please can I have a break? Um, anyway, I sent that off. Uh, a few days later, I got a phone call from the girl at education and training. She's like, oh, my God, you're perfect for this job. We really want you here. You'll be amazing. Um, you know, and then talked about the job and I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly what I need. Like just go in there, talk to the recruits, you know, um, see the excitement in their eye, you know, get that bit of that excitement back in my yeah. life was like, yeah, that, yeah. you know, and that energy and just feed off it was like, this is going to be great. Um, anyway, so I get an email from the boss going, I was on shift and he said, look, can you come and see me? And I'm like, yes, I can, like super excited. <laughs> and he's like, um, I got your email um, about, you know, what you've said about your struggling and stuff and so yeah, and then did you get the email from about me being successful? And he said, "Yes, but unfortunately, we cannot release you due to staffing levels." And I was just like, "What the fuck?" I said, "I, I've written you an email spilling out my heart to you as to why I need a a break, and your answer to me is we don't have staff to release you." I said, I don't want this break just because. I want this break because I am struggling. I need help. I need a break away from here. Um, now, in my boss's defense, I know it wasn't his decision. It was the brass above his head yep. because yep. the brass don't give a shit. Let's yep. be honest, they don't. Yep. They're all about percentages, how fast you can answer that triple zero call. Um, they don't care about their staff. I'm not the only one that's that was struggling at that time and I'm still not. I get messages from people every single day uh, that they're struggling. Oh, I just can't do that. I don't think I can go to work today. I can't do this job anymore. I need help. I need this. And it's like these this 
management know about these things. They know and they don't do anything. They're just like, oh, that's all right. They'll keep turning up. They like the money. They'll keep turning up. We'll just, you know, it's like, no, it's just what, what will it take? Will it take someone taking their own life mm. and leaving a little note that said, this is, you know, this is your fault, QPS. This is your fault, Queensland Police, because you didn't support me when I came to you saying I needed help. I think the disappointing, really disappointing message there is that the Queensland Police Service regarded bums on seats as more important than the mental health of their staff. Like, how would that, you know? Correct. How, oh, I just can't imagine how... Oh, disappointed is probably putting it mildly to some, for, you know, oh, somebody. I was not- just, mm. yeah, and I'm not the only one that's been knocked back. And I know that other people have gone and gone, look, I'm really struggling. Can I have a break? And the answer's been no. God. And it's like people, it takes a lot to open up and say I'm struggling. Certainly people don't does. say it just for fun. They're saying it because they need help and your answer is, no, sorry, we can't release you due to staffing levels. This is a government organisation and we're supposed to be protecting people and you can't even protect your own. Mm. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, well look, Telia, um, I've got to say thank you for um, uh, everything that, um, you know, you've, um, you've done for, you know, the public in Queensland, taking the calls and, the, and your great work with your, lift, uh, your weightlifting. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but I suppose um, I'd like to say thank you from all those people who rang and spoke to you in their hour of need. You, and really, when you ring triple O, generally, you know, not for the lady that wants her cat out of the tree or whatever it is, but generally um, you are what people you need when you ring triple O, you are really, really panicking and so distressed and they need people like you. I'm sure you've been like a, a guardian angel to a you know, a lot of people. So um I'm gonna say on behalf of them thanks. <laughs> but um <laughs> thank you for your great work. Keep it up and uh hey good luck with your weightlifting too. Oh Ooh. thank you. <laughs> no. no, thanks Delia. It's all about the training. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks. No, thank you, Narelle. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.